Yo, partnership alert, partnership alert, partnership alert. Living Corporate has a partnership with LinkedIn Learning, an American massive open online course provider that provides video courses taught by industry experts across a wide array of subjects. Now, the partnership is because Living Corporate has courses on LinkedIn Learning focused on diversity, equity, inclusion for leaders, career professionals, and anyone really looking to upskill themselves and be better allies. So make sure you check out our courses on LinkedIn Learning by clicking the link in the show notes. And let's just say you don't want to do that. You go to LinkedIn Learning on LinkedIn, search Living Corporate. We'll be right there. All right. Peace. What's up, y'all? It's Zach with Living Corporate. You know, um, I'm really in a place of reflection. You know, I want to shout out Brittany Janae Harris because she and I have had several conversations about the importance of unlearning things. And it's funny because I was also talking to my wife. I was talking to Candace about this season of uh, Panera, of uh, Pericope, a p- pandemic, y'all. <laughs> uh, but this pandemic season and how if you would have talked to 2019, Zach, as conscious and woke or whatever phrases or terms you want to use, um, I think I'd be embarrassed by how much trust I had in uh, governmental bodies and systems and structures uh, to keep us safe or to make sure that, you know, our society could really be taken care of. You know, I, I, I did not realize. And again, I, you know, I, I say this as someone I'm continuously learning. I don't believe I've arrived in any one particular area. This season continues to show me how much capitalism is killing us. And again, I would say that I would have said that a couple of years ago. But as you just look around and you just see like all the things, (laughs) all the things happening, it it's sobering, it's depressing and it's frustrating. Compounded by that is the fact that I'm a father to a toddler and, you know, you just look around, right? You look around and you just see like so many parents, everybody, first of all, struggling, just trying to do the best that they can. And you see companies continuing to fail, uh, showing up in effective ways to actually support their employees. And it's because these organizations are not designed to look at employees as people. They're designed to look at employees as means of production. And that's why, you know, we're fighting for like basic things around like childcare and like livable wages and wages that also um, are adjusting to inflation. You know what I mean? Like we're fighting for like basic things for us just to survive healthcare, COVID tests, you know, like just basic stuff, like in the, in the, in the light of us being in a pandemic anyway. And it's just depressing y'all. Like, as I think about um, like, what does this mean for me? Right? Like, what does this mean for me as an individual, as a parent, as a husband, as an employee, as a leader, as someone who manages other people and who's 
called to demonstrate and be a leader in some regard and, and model the right behaviors. What does it look like for me to reject uh, internalized capitalism, right? Like, like I want y'all to know like this whole pressure that we have to always be busy and to produce and the shame that we associate with not working on something or making something or creating something all the time. That's a byproduct of internalized capitalism. That is a consequence of us being conditioned to think that we always need to be producing. And frankly, as we think about like how capitalism is like white supremacy in action, how we also pair that pressure to be producing with also the pressure or expectation to keep white people comfortable um, is also, again, as a consequence of, of that, um, you know, the idea that in this season that you would think that I would prioritize anyone else's comfort besides my own and my family's is insulting, but some folks are so trenched mentally and spiritually, emotionally, mentally in capitalism that they don't even understand how harmfully exploitative that is. Right. And so, you know, for me, I just, I ask myself, like, what does it look like for me as a black man to reject capitalism, to reject it in terms of how it relates to me treating other people with respect and honor and dignity. Right. Like we don't live in this binary world where your career is in one place and your wellness is another place. But again, like capitalism would tell you that you exist to work, you exist to produce. And frankly, you exist to produce for an entity that is going to um, benefit from the fruits of your labor significantly more than you will. Right. Like and capitalism also tells us that uh, there's honor somehow in exploiting yourself <laughs> or being open to being exploited. Capitalism tells us that, um, you know, it's okay to step on someone else or neglect someone else. Capitalism uh, tells us that it is the right thing to do to neglect your own well-being, uh, your mental health be damned, your physical health be damned, your social health and um, and just, you know, just exposure and personal development and growth be damned. I mean, yeah, you can grow. Yeah, you can do stuff. But I mean, it needs to be in service of production to this entity that's going to actually benefit from your labor more than you do. And so for me, it's like I don't know the answer, but just know that like we're going to be having more and more conversations about like rejecting um, internalized capitalism, rejecting um, internalized white supremacy, because that's really what it comes down to. Um, I'm really excited about today's conversation, um, you know, but I wanted to just like slow down a little bit and talk about like where we're at, because irrespective of like how people may be acting, like we are very much so still in a pandemic. Like it's still a whole pandemic outside. Like there's new COVID surging as we speak, right? Like we're struggling and it's depressing to see like folks having to need to still be reminded over and over and over again that there's a pandemic outside, right? I read an article about just how parents 
especially parents of children under five are like they're at the end of their rope y'all like you know what i'm saying i don't come on here crying about you know my own challenges and my own frustrations as a parent um, of a of a toddler but it's challenging for us and everyone isn't privileged to have a nanny um or to have even their in-laws like around the corner or to be like the only grandchildren of their grandparents or to even have grandparents that their children can go with. Like people are out here like on islands. Right. And it's just important um, in this season that we individually check ourselves and remember that we're still in a pandemic. Like remind yourself that you're, we're still in a pandemic. Stop shaming and pressuring yourself to, produce and be some cog in a machine like yes we have to do that what we have to do to survive um, I don't believe that means that we have to continue to devalue ourselves and sacrifice our wellness in the process and I believe that if there's ever been a season where we have a voice to speak up and advocate for ourselves it's this season right because even the things that I'm talking about as we like talk through like um like how the pandemic has stripped bare a lot of the things that have already been there. Like, the, like these challenges have been present, right? I'm late to the game, but there are activists who've been talking, maybe shoot, Kwame Tori, MLK, like folks have been talking about this for 50, 60 years, 70 years. Um, but it's just interesting. I just, I want everyone to really pause and remember like we're still in a pandemic. It's still a whole pandemic outside. Anyway, like I said, I'm really excited about today's conversation with Wemma Hoover. Uh, Wilma Hoover is a DEI executive. She has international experience and leadership um, with some incredible brands. And we talk about her journey um, in and out of tech. And now she's having her own shingle with her own consulting firm. Really positive conversation. I'm just really excited for us to get to it. And I'm thankful that she was so gracious to be on Living Corporate. Before we do that, we're going to tap in with Tristan and then we're going to get to the conversation. So I'll see you in a second. What's going on, Living Corporate? It's Tristan, and I want to thank you for tapping back in with me as I provide some tips and advice for professionals. Today, let's talk about what upskilling means and how you do it. Upskilling is another way of saying learning new skills, but with a twist. Upskilling is being driven by advances in technology and living more effectively in a digital world. It's no secret that new technologies, like artificial intelligence, are rapidly changing the way we work. While technology creates jobs, it has also led to the disappearance of them. To master the skills you need in this changing workplace, you must be deliberate in what you learn. Here are a few tips for employees on how to upskill. Be strategic. Identify what skills will be the most valuable in your job, workplace, or industry in the future. Technology is moving faster than the vast majority can be trained. Stay one step ahead. Honestly evaluate your strengths and weaknesses. A top performer has self-awareness. Know your weaknesses and work on them with humility. Ask for what you want. As an employee, you're in an advantageous position right now. The workforce is in flux and top talent is hard to attract and retain. Now is a perfect time to ask your employer for more responsibility or learning opportunities. But before you do, identify areas that will benefit your employer as well as help you progress along your career path. Upskilling is much easier with a plethora of courses available online, and many of those are free. 
Whether you want to take a professional certification course, a class for fun, or learn something altogether new, online learning is great. Coursera is a great online choice for professional development and course variety. Coursera's roots are in science, technology, and math. However, now you can find more than 2,700 courses in almost every field. It's an excellent choice for professional upskilling. LinkedIn Learning is for professionals who want day-to-day -day skill building. LinkedIn offers short classes to get you up to speed quickly. A lot of the classes are less than an hour and are designed as teasers but with a ton of information. Udemy suits the niche learner. Udemy instructors come from different backgrounds and experiences and that is what makes it great. If your interest is making yourself more marketable in the future, take a peek at several job postings to see what companies want. Use that as a starting point for which online classes are worth taking to fulfill your long-term goals. This tip was adapted from an email sent by Ashley Stahl and brought to you by Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Layfield Resume, or connect with me, Tristan Layfield, on LinkedIn. Wilma, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. And thank you so much for having me. You know, it's a pleasure. Um, I know, first of all, Happy New Year. Thank you. Yes. It's, it's been a while. Yes. <laughs> and we've come to a new year, right? We've put the past 2021 in the past and now open to all that 2022 will, will give us. And I am encouraged that it will be a fantastic year. Absolutely. Now, you've been in this space for some time. Like, can you walk me through just your journey, how you got into DEI and like what your journey has looked like? Absolutely, certainly. So um, my journey has been more like a scavenger hunt, kind of going around and not direct, which I think it's really allowed me to really pick up necessary skills to be effective um, in this space today. So um, I started off in management consulting or Arthur Anderson. Um, I did that for many years and then went over to PricewaterhouseCoopers after the cessation of Arthur Anderson and Anderson Consulting. I am dating myself. Uh, and thereafter, that's when I started getting into more of the culture work, um, more of the work around um, representation, diversity, uh, ensuring that there were equal opportunities. And then when I went over to Bristol Myers Squibb, I took a job in-house when I was working across all different companies across the financial services in industry. I was able to get a job in-house at Bristol Myers Squibb um, working in organizational development. And that's really was my foray into diversity inclusion because one of my first assignments was working with our research and development center and facilitate, helping facilitate facilitate um, the build and operate and, and alliance um, partnership with our contract research organization in Bangalore, India. And as a just necessity to do the work, I was focused on global leadership, cultural competency, team effectiveness, and more on that kind of learning agility from a cultural standpoint, from a um, different time zone, different relationship to management. And that's where I really got into diversity, equity, inclusion. And it was tremendous because, you know, we were operating in a research center off the shores of the United States the first time, you know, a big uh, pharma had did that. And realizing that one of the biggest business challenges was around 
cultural understanding, the relationship to management, the hierarchy of communication, something as simple as trust and what you share, how you share it, when you share it. And so that became, you know, the genesis of my work. And um, I work with universities in India um, to build relationships and figure out how to get postdocs there. And we had to send our employees there. So it was a, a real big kind of uh, wonderful opening and clamshell of um, different skills, different strategies. Um, but what was most rewarding to me is that the business stood behind it. The business recognized because we knew the necessity to not only do the work today, but build these common practices, these conditions, these and these ways of working, collaborating, interacting, um, and looking at perform driving performance and, and and assessing performance in a different way that we hadn't done before. And so that's kind of got how I got in diversity. I then um, went on to a role um, leading diversity at Bristol Myers but from that because they saw the success and me doing it in the business. Then I went over and did it as a corporate function. And that is really my entryway in and uh, end up working at Bristol Myers Group, ended up going to Pfizer, did a lot of fun work on um, diversity driving the business and looking at the different disease states and how do you really get patients who are underutilized for a therapy, but really needed the medicines um, because that was prevalent in that community, um, in that um, uh that environment with that with that community group, um, and and had a fantastic time. Did different things. Did like telenovela integrations. Did work with comedians for the for black patients and populations, um, and then end up going over to Sanofi. Got recruited to go to Sanofi, and I lived in Paris. Was asked to relocate and actually take on the chief diversity officer and head of culture officer. Um, for a non-U.S. company. So I had to actually live out there. And I questioned it at first and said, okay, this is a big move. However, if I'm legitimately going to be a steward of my craft, I need to be my own case study. I need to be the one that is put out of her comfort zone. I need to be the one that needs to figure out how to connect. What are the practices? What are the conditions? What are the internal policies that either help or hinder people of difference. So I use that as an opportunity to learn and grow as a practitioner, but also at the same time, helping create these practices and processes uh, for the organization I was working for. You know, you were in Paris for over three years. Like, I'd love to hear more about, you know, what are some of the main things you learned, even in just kind of like transitioning from New Jersey to Paris? Yeah, yeah. What I learned is that um, you have to take your American hat off and suspend all creature comforts and also suspend the way that you look at and view success. Um, one of my earliest learnings was when I very ambitiously came into a meeting with one of, you know, our, our CEO at the time and um, said, I'm gonna have you meet all my direct reports. And I met one of the direct reports there, uh, the general counsel, and I said, here's my 90 day plan. This is what I plan to do. And I ended up getting met with a lot of nodding heads, very tight face, tight lip faces. And then one day, you know, the general counsel was a woman, gave me a recommendation. She's like, you know, 
you probably will may it fare better if you just listen. Don't talk about doing things in 90 days, but because in this culture, they have more deference to learning and understanding the ways of, of operating the culture, the influences than on action. That's a very American way. And so I literally shifted, changed my style. I went into those meetings and you know, my goal was to listen, listen, and listen some more and barely said anything outside of hello. And at the end of the meetings, I was told, this is the best meeting ever. You're fantastic. You're the American that we knew we could have. It was, it was quite funny, but it was also a great learning experience because I realized that wherever you go, whenever environment you're in, you, you need to go to seek to learn first, seek to understand. And that is the genesis of, of you know, equity inclusion. How are you connecting with those in your environment, with those that you are working closely with, living next to, so that you truly have a sincere and genuine effort to get to know them on their space and their land, and then bring your own self and your own identity in. And that's what I had to do. And again, being a case study of my own work, I quickly took note and shifted gears and um, was able to apply that. And I think that that what, what gave me my momentum to really drive um, a very strong agenda. Well, you know, let's talk about, you know, uh, the past year or so, because we're, we're kind of walking through your your resume here. You're now at Wema Hoover Advisors, your own consulting firm. But before that, you had a brief stop at Google. Can we talk a little bit about like what informed or empowered your decision to hang your own shingle after, you know, about 20 years or so of being in this space and this work? Yes, absolutely. You know, Google was a great ride. It was a great opportunity. I um, was supposed to be in Paris longer, but the pandemic, as with many other people, um, presented a lot of personal and family dynamics that I just needed to be back stateside. So I came back with my job at Sanofi and then got poached by Google. And that was great opportunity. However, um, I needed to remain on the East Coast and remain close to my family, bring my daughter, who I was in Paris by myself with, a support network back and couldn't relocate, um, you know, just could not relocate. And so I had to make a decision. Do I move again, having been back for five months? Or, you know, do I rethink, you know, what is Wayma Hoover's contribution to the space? And I had to really take a decision and really take a stance to say, you know, I want to own my voice at this moment with everything that's going on with Black Lives Matter, with the violence against, you know, Blacks, with Asian hate crime, xenophobia, LGBT exclusion. I want to own my voice and I want to contribute in a meaningful way to change the world, change the society. And along the way, help organizations see how they can harness and maximize the value of diversity. And so I ended up taking a decision to go on my own and I quickly got clients, right? Because I had always get kind of poached to help and assist and drive this. And I just opened myself up to the opportunities that were there. And it spiraled into, you know, being it's speaking, speaking engagements, signing with the Speakers Bureau, having a lot of momentum there, having messages that were open, provocative, but honest, and allow there not to be judgment and to be learning. 
and there to be an opportunity to not only share, you know, what you know, but the awkwardness of what you don't know and what you may miss, miss have, um, but in a way that is in a safe space. And that's why I think I've been able to keep the momentum and keep the work that I'm doing now, which is, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, um, consulting. I've got a lot of work um, on leading um, in times of uncertainty, um, well-being, mental health. I just published an article last week with the National Association of Mental Illness around remote work and how we need to center mental health and well-being if we want to work in the new the new model, because there's no going back, right? Chimes have changed and the only norm that we're gonna have is change. And so that has been the pull, you know, for me. And in addition, I'm an, I'm an executive coach. So this time has also bred the net, you know, the need for a lot of leaders to kind of look up, look up and say, how am I showing up in these dynamic times? Am I able to make meaning for myself before I make meaning for an organization and my teams? How do I navigate in an authentic and genuine way that I can have discussions that will allow people to share their feelings, allow us to reset and, and really cultivate operating norms, but at the same time, you know, show the value of their contributions and treat them as individuals. And so that has been a huge part of um, the work that I've been doing as well as the coaching along the way. And it's been fun, you know, I can tell you, unexpected, but doing this stuff I'm, I'm having fun so you know it's interesting you talk about like this time and this moment and leveraging your own voice can we talk a little bit i'd love to hear your perspective on just like the diversity equity inclusion landscape today right like as we think about trends that you might be noticing or uh behaviors that you're seeing and even maybe predictions as we look at like the next five years or so yeah no that's a great question um you know, what I'm saying today is that there are more organizations, um, even more governments, local governments, state governments, our federal government, you know, our, our current president are leaning into having a platform to address it, to talk about it and address it. I'm not even going to go into the latest voter registration debacle that we were in, but what it shows me is that this is really center for all of us to trying to figure out how do we create not only the understanding, but the necessity to be able to have exchange and dialogue and, un and know what each other are feeling and to make sure that it doesn't paralyze us, but that it pushes us through to greater connectivity, stronger relationship and more truth. Um, and so I, I see that now. What I also see is that there is a struggle, right? There is a struggle on the, the corporate and organizational level around doing this in a very pragmatic way that you allow there to be discussion and exchange, but don't let it go into a rat hole of just negativity or venting or, you know, having there be, you know, unhealthy discussions around intent when everyone is trying to do, um, you know, their best and trying to come to an element of change. And what I think needs to happen, and there needs to be a co-creation. Um, there needs to not just be a top down and the desire to have a spoken, you know, a written speech and something that is, you know, kind of developed by a comms person and spoke by a leader, because people 
feel that that may not be sincere. They feel it, and especially when they hear it and what they're experiencing is different, right? Um, so I think the struggle is around the accountability piece, um, where and how it shows up, and the expectation that employees will now feel it and know that this is the company I work. This is, these are the values. These are their, this is their ambition to diversity, equity, inclusion. And these are the behaviors that are associated with it. So that's why I think that there is a, a trend and there is a work being done in the organizational level. And you can even say, see it at the state levels that are, you know, um, changing laws, really trying to push forward a lot of the areas that we regressed tremendously under former administration. And you're seeing that. And I, my, you know, optimism for the future is that there will be some anchoring, right? And anchoring in a way that is very relevant, unique for industries in relation to their customers, their clients, their patients, so that it truly reflects their mission and vision. But that that is expanding, right? Their mission and vision is expanding. You know, you hear about, you know, conscious capitalism, and that's a buzzword, but how are companies and organizations making that real? How are they setting the agenda for diversity, equity, inclusion, gender equality, corporate social responsibility, and making it a part of how they view their success metrics? So that is what I see as a bright future and makes me excited and gives me optimism. That's wonderful. You know, I think you said a word that didn't trigger me to ask a follow-up question around said accountability. I think about uh, the future of work. I think about Gen Z and like, you know, I think Frank, my siblings are a part of that generation and they, even more than millennials, um, seem to have like a shorter wick for nonsense right like they're going to go to social media they're going to call you out they're going to blast you they're going to activate they're going to protest um in, in a much quicker way and they also use technology to scale their dissident uh in a way that is um notable and so i'm curious with that with that in mind do you believe that corporate america corporate america as it exists today is prepared for gen zers at large Short answer, no, <laughs> but they should <laughs> and they will. I mean, honestly, this is how the evolution of the workforce is going to transcend. Gen Z and even some of the other generations, Gen X, um, uh, Gen Y, they have an expectation of going into a job and not just getting a paycheck. They want to go to a job and feel purpose. They want to go to a job and feel a shared mission that is meaningful for them, that is defining in their life outside of what they do in nine to five. And so what we're seeing now is a significant ride on, rise on activism and specifically employee activism. And they're doing that is because that need, right, to make meaning in their lives, to work and drive something with purpose, not only in their private lives, but in their, their full-time employment life, is not going to close. And so that's where you're seeing now a lot of organizations taking a stance, um, being more vocal, even changing laws. I mean, look what happened with Dove. Dove passed the, you know, Dove was the architect of the Crown Act, right? They went and got a lot of other corporate organizations, then went to the state levels. And now you have, what, 19 states that passed legislation to say 
companies that that operate here cannot discriminate over natural hair. You know, you saw the same thing with the amicus briefs, with the, you know, marriage equality. That was started by organizations signing an amicus brief and saying, we, this is against our values. We are not going to allow and we're not going to sit silent when these things are happening. And so it's going to increase. Um, I know that there is probably some area that is is unclear and uncharted for organization and maybe even not feel feel right right because you're also they're also thinking about you know profits and marginalizing some of their customers or patients but at the end of the day not only will employees from an activism standpoint expect it but the states they operate the countries they operate in the regions they operate are going to demand it because this is the this is the population of people that live here and if you're going to be in a community and not serve, understand, and care for the needs of the constituents there, you may not have a customer base there. <laughs> so that that's just the reality. You know, we're recording this um, at the top of the new year in 2022. Like, talk to me about the things that you're excited about as you look at your consulting agency, as you talk to me about the landscape as you see it, the optimism that you have. What are you personally looking forward to this year? Yeah, so I'm, you know, overall in life, I'm looking forward to connecting with people, you know, and in a in in a in a, a much more heart to heart manner. What I think the pandemic has done is allowed people to take to stop, pause, and reflect on what's the most important thing to them. And so the conversations I'm having, even with clients, colleagues. Are different, our neighbor. They're d- just different, because you have, you know, the unknown. You know, the dynamics of changing. If, are we going to be in quarantine again? Is this, is this variant going to? It's really making people really take stock of their lives and say, I'm going to live in this moment and in this way, and this is what meaningful to them. So that's that is excites me, and excites me from a work perspective because this means that there's more opportunity to reach the head and the heart with people in doing the equity and inclusion work. There's more opportunity for people to get past that facade, right? And that kind of talking mask on what they should say and what they ought to present themselves as because it's corporate speak or it's what expected, but it's forcing them to really say, before I do that, let me look at the mirror myself. Let me kind of do a checks and balance on how do I feel about this? What are my thoughts? And then how can I go through this journey together in an effective way so I can lead by example and at least show the honesty, the humanity of the struggle that I'm going with, but use that as a unifying force. So that is excites me. The realness, the authenticity, um, the time of pause and reflection that has allowed people to resurface um, with, with, with more candor and and more sincerity. Well, women, I, I'll tell you, I, I really appreciate the fact that you were able to come on Living Corporate. Consider you a friend of the show. You're welcome back anytime. Um, really thankful for your time, the uh, the experience, expertise that you share, and honestly, just like the breadth of your journey. You talked about so many things, and 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 as we as we look at even like the brands that you've been leader uh, a leader at or that you've led. Um, I believe there's multiple, um, there's opportunity for several more conversations. So I hope that we can have you back. Uh, before I let you go, any parting words or shout outs? 
I just want to shout out to you and for doing what you do because this is necessary. It is amazing. And you are touching and changing people in ways that you don't know. So thank you for having me. And I just want to shout out to all your listeners and just tell them, stay encouraged, um, stay passionate and, you know, just, you know, keep the faith and, and let's all just bring positive vibes into the world. That's it. Let's go. All right. Great. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Peace. Yo, again, I want to shout out Wim Hoover. Thank you, Tristan Layfield of Layfield Resume. Shout out to the entire squad. A shout out to Madison Butler, all the work that you're doing. Shout out to Aubrey Blanche. Um, yo, I'm just really appreciative of like all of um, all of the contributors and like members of Living Corporate's community, our team. You know, it's just an incredible season. Um, there's more coming this year. I'm so excited to share in the coming months as we continue to build what we're building behind the scenes. In the meantime, make sure you give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. If you give us four stars, I'm going to call you a hater for real. Uh, make sure you check out the website and uh, we'll catch y'all soon. All right. This has been Zach. Peace. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.